We're continuing our sermon series in the book of Lamentation. And so please turn to chapter 3. And we'll be reading from verse 25. And one thing you should note here in chapter 3 is if you remember previously and in this book generally, there are poems that are acrostics, right? So that means that each line would start with a different letter of the alphabet. Well, if you notice here in chapter 3, there are sets of three, three verses. You see that? You notice there are a lot more verses in this chapter. And that's because we, in this poem, we have three lines starting with each letter of the alphabet instead of just one. So keep that in mind. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 25. We'll read through verse 54. This is God's holy word. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men, to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit. The Lord does not approve. In verse 37, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. In verse 46, all our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief, and the fate of all the daughters of my city. I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. 
They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we remember the serious attitude we should have as we approach you and as we hear you speak to us your holy word. But Lord, we confess now that we need your Holy Spirit, that we might understand it aright. Lord, we are sinners and we are tempted by many things. Even as we listen to sermons, we are tempted by Satan, by the world, by our flesh. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us today to believe your word, to understand it aright. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. So we have a few kids in the congregation. And kids, if you're listening, <laughs> what do you do? How do you feel when your parents discipline you? Maybe make you have a timeout, sit in the corner, or maybe spank you. It's, it's not very fun, is it? It, it hurts right? Well, why do you think your parents do that? Do you know it's because they love you? It's because they want to help you. They want you to grow and grow up to not end up in jail, right? <laughs> now, I know it's hard for kids to understand um, adults, do you remember when you were a kid and your parents would discipline you? How did that, how did you feel about that? How did you respond? It's, uh, a lot of times we responded poorly, right? Um, because it's difficult to receive punishment. But we know that punishment, discipline from a parent has a purpose, a good purpose. Now, it's bringing us low. There's, there's a kind of paradox when it comes to discipline, because it brings you low. But the reason in which the purpose for bringing you low is to ultimately raise you up. And we have big fancy words for that. We say humiliation. So it is humiliating to be disciplined, and yet Humiliation ultimately is the path that leads to exaltation, being raised up. And this is a pattern that we see throughout the Bible. It's a pattern as well in the gospel. The Lord Jesus <clears throat> was humiliated, but his path of humiliation to the cross was his path to exaltation. And so it is for we who are united together with him by faith. Now, 
Have you guys ever heard of something called the Irish Articles? It was actually, you guys know Westminster Confession? We talk about that every once in a while here. Well, there was something called the Irish Articles that was written before that by a guy named Bishop Usher. And it became the kind of the main, actually, source of the Westminster Confession. And it says this, When Almighty God smiteth us with affliction, or some great calamity hangeth over us, or any other weighty cause so requireth, it is our duty to humble ourselves in fasting, to bewail our sins with a sorrowful heart, and to addict ourselves to earnest prayer, that it might, that it might please God to turn his wrath from us, or supply us with such graces as we greatly stand in need of. I like that phrase. We are to addict ourselves to earnest prayer. So the Lord judged, the Lord disciplined Judah, 586 BC. He destroyed the city of Jerusalem. But I think as we look at our lives today, as we look at the church today, as we've been seeing, as we've been reading through Lamentations, we can see parallels today with the state of the church today is also in ruin in many ways. The Lord's discipline is upon us. But we want to remember in the midst of that what our response should be and what God's purpose is in all of it. Now, 1 Peter chapter 5 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So This is the main thing we want to see in today's text. There is hope in humiliation. In the state of humiliation, we see here in Judah and this prophet, crying out to the Lord, and he finds hope in the humiliation. We'll see this under three points. First of all, weighs. He weighs his heart, his action. Secondly, weeps. He weeps for the sin and destruction that came upon Judah. And thirdly, he waits. He waits for the coming of the Lord. So weighs, weeps, and waits. First of all, there is hope only as we weigh ourselves, our hearts. We must weigh our thoughts and our actions before the Lord. Let's look at verse 37 again. It says, Who has spoken, and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? What is it saying here? Everything that happens ultimately comes from the Lord, the Lord's plan, his ordination, we say. All that comes to pass, both the good and the bad. And it's because of that, when something happens, and especially when something bad happens, that we are to ask, what is the Lord's purpose in it? It's not always simple or easy to discern. In fact, often, it's not. But 
But there's a connection here with suffering and then leading us to reflect upon ourselves. It says, Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? So whenever affliction comes upon you, you cannot ultimately complain because you know that you deserve it and you deserve even so much worse. You deserve eternal torments and hell for your sins. We all do. And yet, the Lord is gracious to us, even in our suffering, so we cannot complain. It says, verse 40, let us test and examine our ways. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgot, forgiven. So test and examine your ways before the Lord. Now, when we read the, the Bible as a whole, we, we know that not every bad thing that happens is, be, is directly related to your personal sin. And oftentimes, uh, terrible afflictions come upon Christians who um, have repented of their sins, are, are trusting in Christ, and yet, and yet when something happens, when some suffering happens and comes upon you, you need to reflect upon it. We shouldn't automatically uh, just assume that there is nothing that we need to repent of, but it is an opportunity to return to the Lord and reflect upon his word, reflect upon our hearts. Have we done anything that we need to repent of. Now, you know, if you're driving your car along and it breaks down, what do you do? You open up the hood, check out the engine, the transmission, and whatnot, see if there is a problem that needs to be fixed. And so it is um, in our lives. When things go wrong, we need to take a special attention to look at our hearts. And even if there's nothing for us to repent of, and actually I'm sure there is for all of us, but it's, uh, it's an opportunity of the Lord calling you to himself to remember him, to come closer to him in prayer. So I ask you, how do you react? How do you respond to your suffering? Do you go to the Lord and ask him to show you if there is any sin that you need to repent of? Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, if we, were judged, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So the Lord calls us to humbly weigh our hearts, our actions. And secondly, there is hope only as we weep. We must weep for our sin and cry out for help. Look at verse 46. It says, All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us, devastation and destruction. My eyes flow 
with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. So the prophet says, he's crying, he's crying ceaselessly, endlessly, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. So what are we to learn from this? Think about a person who is having a medical emergency, say a heart attack. Are they quiet about that? Oh, excuse me, uh, I think I need some help. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. You cry out with, with your cries of pain. You're, you need help now. And you're not ashamed, you're not modest when you cry out. And we need to cry out to the Lord in the midst of our spiritual crisis as well. You know, if you don't feel a spiritual crisis from time to time, I, I think you are comatose. You're in a kind of coma to the spiritual reality of this world and of your own heart because there are many reasons that we, that we have to cry out to the Lord passionately for help and cry to him out of sorrow for our sin and the effects of sin that we see all around us. And there's something wrong when we're not. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, he said, there is, no, there is no rowing to paradise except upon the stream of repenting, repenting tears. I'll say that again. There is no rowing to paradise except upon the stream of repenting tears. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. So I ask you, when you pray, you cry out to the Lord continually until he, until he answers you? Or do you dispassionately just ask once and then it's over? Now, when you think about Jesus' teaching on prayer or what we see about uh, the prayer in the Gospels, I think it's interesting because on the one hand, Jesus says don't pray like you know, like the heathens who think they'll be heard for their many words, right? So that's the one side you hear. And in that, in that sort of thing, you, you think of like, I go to the Buddhist temple and I hear them just saying the same thing over and over, mindlessly, om, 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 or whatever. Uh, and so they really do think they'll be heard because of the number of their words. But on the other hand, Jesus tells a parable about the persistent widow. The persistent widow kept complaining to the king, wicked king even, and after she kept complaining and asking for help, 
numerous times, over and over. Then he granted her wish and helped her. And Jesus says, you are to pray like the persistent widow. And not only that, uh, Matthew 15, we see a story of the Canaanite, wo uh, Canaanite woman coming to Jesus and saying, please heal my daughter, she's possessed by a demon. And it's very interesting. I'm not sure what to make of it, but Jesus, he, he kind of ignores her at first, almost. And he says, you know, um, I came for the children of Israel, and she's a Canaanite woman. He says, and then she comes to him again and asks for help multiple times and says, you know, even, even the dogs eat the crumbs from their master's table. And ultimately, Jesus heals her daughter and he says, but uh, great faith you have. So we are to persistently cry out to the Lord until he answers our prayers. And that's what we see the prophet doing here in his sorrow. And James chapter 4 says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your daughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So there is hope only as we weigh our hearts, as we weep to the Lord in prayer. And finally, there's hope only as we wait on the Lord. Look at verse 25. It says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. So what are we waiting for? We're waiting upon the Lord. We're waiting for God. What are we waiting for him to do? To deliver us. You know, right now, as Christians... Uh, we are in a waiting period in our lives, right? We are waiting for the return of Christ. I hope you are waiting anxiously with great anticipation for the return of Christ. We don't know when he will return, but that's our blessed hope. And in the midst of all of our suffering, we're looking forward to Christ's return, to set everything straight, to end our suffering, to wipe away our tears, and to bring justice, to bring salvation and redemption to us where we're at. And Christ promised to return as he left in the clouds. What a wonderful promise. So we're waiting upon the Lord. It says... As we wait, we're not to wait by doing nothing, but we are to wait actively seeking him. It says that the Lord is good to the soul who seeks him, to the seeker. And we know that we can only seek him by the power of the Holy Spirit, changing our hearts to give us a desire to seek him says it's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So what's it getting at there? Because 
We just saw that we're to cry out to him. But in another sense, we are to wait quietly. And that means that when we hear him speak to us, we don't talk back, for one. We sit and listen and reflect upon his word. Another way in which we wait quietly is we realize that we can't save ourselves through our own action and our own effort. We can't pull ourselves out of this mess of this world, of the suffering in this world. But we need to wait upon him to come and fix it and help us and save us. So we wait quietly in that sense for the salvation of the Lord. It says, verse 27, it's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. And what is a yoke? You think of the egg yolk, right? But this is a thing that you put on the animal. Uh, the farmers put this on the animal's neck, and then the bull or whatever animal, the horse, carries the plow and digs up the ground behind. So it's very heavy. So the image here is the yoke is the discipline of the Lord. Actually, the prophet Jeremiah, if I recall, he wore one of these at one point in his ministry as an illustration the Lord commanded him to. So it says that it's good for man to bear the yoke in his youth. Now that implies that the yoke is not going to be on him forever. The discipline will not be on him forever. It looks forward to the time when it will be taken away, when the Lord will deliver him from that. But we can think about as children, as you're in your youth, it's good that your parents discipline you so that you grow up mature. And, and as Christians, it's good that the Lord disciplines us. You know, when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, in our Christian lives, we're all in our youth <laughs> because we have a vast eternity before us in the new heavens and new earth. So we're still in our youth. The Lord is putting his discipline upon us when we need it out of his love. So it's good that the yoke would come upon us in the youth. So let us Let's not kick against it. Sometimes the animals, they don't like it, so they kick against it. But we should remember that the God's good purpose in it and be thankful even, even though it's extremely hard. It says, let him sit alone, verse 28, let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust that there may yet be hope. So a lot of times when we're suffering, a suffering person likes to be alone. Uh, alone in your thoughts, and sometimes just other people just make things very difficult. So here it says, to, be, to sit alone in silence is part of that discipline. And put your mouth in the dust. So be, when they would come before the kings, emperors, they would put their, their face all the way down into the dust, showing humility before that power, that king. 
And so we ought to have that attitude as we come to the Lord in prayer. And you know, there's a kind of physical aspect to humility. And I do think it's appropriate and good to kneel down before the Lord in prayer as well. And it gets us in that mindset. And verse 30, it says, Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. So, as you read this, you probably think of the Lord Jesus. And, of course, he told us to turn the other cheek. And he practiced that, didn't he? He received many insults and strikes as he went to the cross. And yet, he did not return those strikes with, with blows of vengeance upon his enemies. He took them. And so, we ought to, as well, as we, as we experience persecution. And we can only do that as we understand that it's the Lord's discipline, ultimately. It says, verse 31, For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. So in the midst of our pain and suffering, we know that the Lord will not cast us off forever. It's temporary. His discipline is temporary. If we repent, humbly come to him for help wait upon him and it tells us here that the Lord doesn't take any joy in that discipline and you know fathers think about when you when you discipline your children I've heard many fathers say it, it actually hurts hurts me more than it hurts my kids that's the kind of attitude I think the Lord has that he doesn't he doesn't take any any pleasure actually in that discipline in the suffering itself but he does it out of his love so just as a prisoner when he sees the release date he's sitting in jail and he has a calendar and he's he sees oh i'm getting out of jail and this day that gives him hope <laughs> and helps him to cope so as we look and wait upon the Lord, remembering that we will be delivered, surely, from all our pain and suffering in this world, we will be delivered. That should give you hope. So I ask you, what are you waiting for? And are, are you waiting patiently? Are you trusting in him and God for his future salvation so that you can turn the other cheek and receive insults without retaliating. So James 5 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So, as we close, where, where can 
those who are suffering the terrible effects of sin, find hope. Where can you find hope? You see, we look to the one who was chastised, not for his own sin, but for our sin. For our sin, the Lord Jesus was humiliated all the way to the cross, his death. He was perfect, but all the sin of believers was imputed to Christ. It means it was reckoned to Christ, considered as his. And he took that yoke upon himself humbly. Did not shake it off. I think of how he weighed his own heart in Gethsemane as he considered the sin that was placed upon him, your sin, my sin that was placed upon him. And he chose to do his father's will. He weeped at the sin of the world. He didn't didn't regard it as unimportant. He didn't ignore it, but he weeped at it. And Jesus waited. He waited for the glory of the resurrection, for the deliverance that he would receive in the resurrection. He waited patiently. So as you trust in him, in Christ, you are united together with him in his resurrection power. And this is what gives you power to face your own humiliation. And it is your humiliation that the Lord will use to exalt you, to raise you, to find hope in it. Hebrews 5 says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we reflect upon the discipline that you placed upon your church in Judah in 586 B.C., upon the destruction of Jerusalem, Lord, how terrible it was, and and yet you had your good and loving purpose in it. And so it is today, Lord, that as we look around and we see the destruction of the church, as we see our enemies attack your body, Christ, as we see it infected with idolatry, as we see the many divisions in its midst, we are so full of sorrow, Lord. Lord, we cry out for your mercy and your deliverance, and we wait upon you. 
when we consider our own sin and our own parts, our own guilt that we need to repent of, Lord. So, Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would truly look forward to your deliverance, to your return, Christ, and you will make everything right again. We pray that we would lay hold of that hope, that sure and certain hope of your promise, of your everlasting love. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen.